everybody. Welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Julie Richards. I'm Sarah Wakefield. And today we are off the beaten path with Sharon Martin. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you. Nice to meet both of you. Great to be here and to talk with all of your listeners. So glad to have you. So a, a couple weeks ago, we had a codependency um, episode where we shared some materials that Sharon Martin in California um, created some great resources. She has a very helpful website and lots of blog posts and writing that she does. And so we thought it'd be fun to invite her onto the show. And so maybe just to start off sharing, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Uh, well, again, thank you for having me. Um, as you said, I am in California. I am a psychotherapist in private practice. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, and so I have spent, um, well, man, many years at this point um, working with people around issues of codependency and perfectionism. Those are, you know, sort of the two big areas that I work with. Um, and then I would say sort of Related to that tends to be issues around, oh, self-worth, self-esteem, and anxiety um, are often, you know, kind of the, the bundle that, that come together for folks. Um, and again, within that, um, one other area that I'm really interested in working with people who are adult children of alcoholics, which, um, like I said, are, sort of encompasses a, a number of those same kinds of issues. Um, you know, so, so that's what I do sort of in my regular, you know, working hours is working with clients around those. And then, like you said, I also do a lot of writing. Um, I, I write a, a blog post. I try to write one every week. So there's a fair amount of um, content out there. Um, and then I like to just create, oh, you know, worksheets or meditations or affirmations or things that go with it. You know, one of the things that I really like about writing um, is trying to make something that's tangible for people to actually have like an action item that they can do so that it's not just like here's the idea you know here's the theory or the you know philosophy or you know the concept but you know what people really want of course is well okay how can i apply that you know what's a simple thing that i can actually do um to try to make a change. And I, I try to make it so that it's a small, like actionable thing that you can start with. Like we talk about something like codependency. And the question is, of course, is always, well, how do I change that? And of course, you know, it's, it's truly a process, um, but there are things that you can do to start with. So I, I try to, you know, give people some, some things that they can actually use. Um, you know, and I think, you know, for me, it's, it's sort of my, you know, maybe, similar to what the podcast is for all of you is it's my way of trying to give people who I'm, you know, probably not going to ever see in my office. Um, you know, I can only see honestly a very few number of people, um, privately for therapy, but, you know, by writing things and, you know, for you putting the podcast out, right, we can reach a lot more people and, and sort of give, um, people some, some resources, um, that otherwise they might not be able to have. So that's a, a really, you know, a blessing for me to be able to do that. So what has been most impactful for you, whether it be your life experience or particular authors or mentors, or what has shaped you as Sharon to this point where you're at a season where you're able to do this? Like, obviously, there's been a lot that has come together, whether it be your own story or um, people who have been a support or... What, what, what has been impactful? What has shaped you? 
Yeah, great question. And I don't think you can really choose just one thing. <laughs> I think, I think for like sure. for everybody, you know, it's really, it's that combination. Um, and certainly, you know, the older I've gotten and the more life experiences that I have had, you know, that really has felt like it has become a, a bigger piece of it than when I started out. Um, but, you know, there's always just so much to learn. And I feel like it's that integration of, okay, like I'm trying to figure out my own stuff here. I'm trying to sort through the things that have happened for me, the things that have been challenging, right? And some of that is both, um, you know, the stuff that happened in childhood, right, that I, you know, came all the, already, you know, to um, becoming a therapist with. And then, of course, life doesn't stop, you know, once you, you know, become a therapist, right? Life is still messy and complicated and traumatic at times. And, you know, I've been a, a therapist now for 25 years. So obviously, a lot has happened, you know, whether it's, you know, losses of people or, you know, additions of children's or struggles in my marriage and, you know, all kinds of things that have happened. And, and I think maybe the other piece that, um, you know, comes into play is also sort of, I think, understanding my family history, you know, in some different ways. Um, again, maybe partly just because I have become more interested in understanding some of that. And I think also maybe just, again, as sort of getting older, um, you know, that I've asked the question so that my parents have shared, you know, more information with me, you know, than I, you know, knew about when I was, you know, younger. Um, and it, maybe didn't seem quite as appropriate to share some of the things about their parents or their growing up experiences. And, you know, you sort of put it all together and in it, it, you know, is I think a maybe fairly universal, you know, of us wanting to understand ourselves, right. It's understanding where we have come from um, and how that has impacted um, us and the decisions that we make and, you know, the relationships that we form in adulthood. Julie, you've talked a lot about uh, like hereditary trauma. I don't know. I don't know what the proper term is for that, um, but it's something that you know trauma through generational, generational trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, is it possible to have generational codependency? Yes, <laughs> especially if we think about um, codependency really as a response to trauma, and mm. you know that's the way that I really have come to think about it is that. Um, you know, all of those codependent, you know, behaviors or traits or relationship dynamics that we talk about in codependency, I like to think of those as things that, you know, for most people, those were basically coping strategies that they came up with when they were young um, because it was the best they could come up with, right? They didn't have a lot of resources. They didn't have a lot of life experience. We don't even have a fully, you know, developed brain, right? So we don't have a lot to work with. And so, um, you know, some of the things that we do, you know, we think about, oh, we'll just think about like going along with something, not standing up for ourselves or that people pleasing kind of behavior. Well, that probably worked really well when you were five and you didn't, you know, want to get hit or, you know, your parent was, uh, you know, raging against you, right? You don't know what else to do. And so that's a great strategy when you're small, um, you know, maybe later, you know, you're 20, 30, 40 years old, and you realize, well, this really isn't such a great strategy for me now as an adult. Um, but again, where you think about, well, it, it had a purpose. Um, and so that's that idea of it sort of being a response to, to some of the trauma. Um, so that that's kind of a simple answer to the question of, right, can codependency, um, you know, be passed down. But I think also, you know, you think about it just in terms of a lot of it's a learned behavior, 
um, that you know you may have like honestly really just seen you know one or both you know of your parents or somebody else that you were close to doing a lot of those same behaviors right so we pick it up um, just like we would any other behavior um, but yeah, uh, you know, and again, so many things are generational when we think about mental health and relationship struggles, um, right? That's, you know, sort of what I was talking about. Is, I mean, I, th I think it's very interesting, um, you know, for us to try to understand not just what's going on for us right now, but, you know, where did it come from, right? It, it, and I think for most people, it really is that combination um, that I was talking about of you know, your own past and, you know, understanding your parents' past and their parents' past, you know, and, um, you know, and there isn't necessarily a lot of history, I think, for most people um, in terms of, like, a diagnosed mental health issue, um, you know, that's a, a fairly recent, you know, occurrence, right, that now it's not uncommon, you know, for people to know that, you know, maybe you know, their siblings or a parent maybe was diagnosed with, you know, depression or something like that. But, you know, I think for most of us, we think back in, you know, a generation or two beyond that, it's, it's not very likely that you're going to have that kind of information. It more might be some of the anecdotal um, information that you know, or, you know, maybe you knew somebody, um, you know, struggled with alcoholism, or there was, um, you know, domestic violence, um, in in the past there but um you might not have all of the pieces but often you know we can put enough together to kind of get an idea of what was going on um and for sure people are likely passing down whatever they've been raised in it's the only system that they've known unless they do the work of trying to untangle unhealthy systems and patterns then they're going to pass down whatever that's how they've been raised. So it makes sense that that's what they would live out. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I, and I think, you know, obviously a lot of people just repeat the same patterns without a lot of awareness. They're not really sure what else to do. Um, I think, I think most people, you know, if they're really sort of having a, a dysfunctional relationship or having a real struggle in parenting their children, I think they usually know that things are not going very well, that this is a struggle for them, um, but they're not really sure what the alternative is. Um, you know, if you have never seen a healthy family, how do you know what one looks like? You know, often it's just, you know, you're, you're kind of left with what you see on TV or in movies. Um, you know, maybe you went to a friend's house a lot as a child and saw something different um, in their family. Um, but again, I mean, most um, children growing up, I mean, it's, it's probably a good number of years before you're out of your house enough um, to even experience that there are families that operate in different ways. Um, so, so I think even by then, you know, if it, you know, it's by, you know, eight or 10 years old, you know, you've had a lot of experience, um, in one family system, right? One belief system that's really gotten pretty well embedded. Um, and of course, then you continue to, you know, live in that system most likely, you know, for another eight or 10 years, right? Um, so, you know, by the time, you know, you're, you're leaving home, you really, um, are really fully, you know, enveloped in that um, dysfunctional family system. And so, like we said, I mean, even if you've got a, a glimmer of something else might be there, you really don't know how to actually do something different. 
Yeah. I'm curious, um, Sharon, do you have a definition that you use for codependency and helping people understand what it is? I know we had our last episode that kind of unpacked it further, but I'm just curious your verbiage or how you conceptualize it, because it does seem like one of those words that um, people use and may or may not have an understanding for. Yeah, you know, we we can, I think, you know, sort of talk a little bit about it, but but honestly, the the short answer is no, I don't have one particular quick, you know, and simple definition, because I actually find it's fairly complicated of a concept, um, and it's something that is not well understood. And I think, I mean, honestly, I don't love the term codependency. I don't think it's really a great word to describe what it is we're actually talking about. And I also think, um, you know, it's got a lot of negative connotations to it. Um, But I have really honestly not been able to come up with anything that's better. And, and it's something, it's a term that's obviously widely used, even if it's somewhat misunderstood. Um, so I think it's hard to get away from it. Um, but but it, it does encompass quite a lot of different pieces. Um, you know, part of it is, like I was saying earlier, is, is I think trying to understand that you know, those codependent behaviors are are things that were useful to you, which I I think helps a bit to take away some of the shame that often gets associated with it, which I think is, you know, one of of the big problems that we have with the term is that it can really feel like you're sort of blaming the victim um, and saying, um, you're the person who was traumatized, you're the person who was hurt, um, but somehow you're part of the problem. Um, does not feel good when you're on the receiving end of that, right? Um, and so I think we have to we have to really work pretty hard at trying to get away from that um, approach to the word and understanding um, that that's not the intent. Is that we're really not trying to say um, that you caused um, the the you know negative things, the traumatic things that happened to you. That's that's not what codependency is about. Um, but that, you know, if, if anybody, I mean, I think we could say this about, you know, other things beyond codependency too, but, but if you find in your life that you have some things that you are doing that are really not, you know, creating the relationships or the kind of life that you are looking for, then we are responsible for trying to make those changes. Right. And that's part of what we're doing when we talk about, you know, changing or moving away, healing from codependency is recognizing that we have control over ourselves. Right. I mean, our thoughts and our behaviors. um, And that can feel that can be really empowering to recognize that those are the things that you can change. And by changing those things that are not working about your thoughts and your behaviors, you can really create a much more happy and satisfying life for yourself, um, which I think is, is sort of the opposite of, of that, you know, negative approach to codependency, which is, you know, you're the victim, you're the problem, um, you know, and um, you're, you're the cause, right? We, we want to be on this other end of it, of, of feeling like, yes, like there are things that we can do to make our lives better for ourselves. So let's do them, right? And really 
understanding that those things that you used to cope with when you were younger served a purpose for you and that that was a way to figure out how to navigate in relationships. But if it's not still serving you well now where you don't take good care of yourself because you're so worried about other people or your boundaries get tangled up where you don't really have a sense of who you are, that doesn't serve you well for the lifespan. So it's something to to just kind of sit with, how could I do this differently so that I can have more um, autonomy and purpose and meaning and um, an identity for who I am that I can value myself. And uh, you mentioned self-esteem as one of the areas that that you often talk about. It does take a valuing of ourself to be able to factor ourselves in or take good care of ourselves or have good self-care. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree with, you know, everything that you were saying there. And I think, you know, that is another way that we can think about codependency um, or, or at least sort of the root of it is stemming from not feeling like we're worthwhile people, like there's something, you know, flawed or inadequate um, that we're unlovable, right? Any number of those really negative views of ourselves as being, you know, probably, you know, that that core piece of it that then fans out and leads to all of these other behaviors um, that we're talking about that don't tend to serve us really well in adulthood um, as coming from a lack of really caring for ourselves, loving ourselves, um, feeling that we have value. Um, we can, you know, kind of work on some of those pieces of it as well. Then you can think about, well, you know, if I felt, you know, more valuable and, and lovable, um, you know, how would I act, right? How would I treat myself? How, how would I behave in relationship to other people as well, right? And that looks very different um, than what you would do um, if you don't feel like you have any worth or very little. So, so talking about all of this um, and, and moving away and break, kind of not just breaking free because it's not a one-time process. You don't just all of a sudden, you're not suddenly healed from codependency. It's a practice and a behavior um, modification and an adjustment to your life and sometimes large parts of your life. Um, but right now during COVID, you know, w- we have shrunk our bubble, right? We were supposed to shrink our bubbles and include only the most necessary people in it. And, you know, it's summertime. We've ex- probably expanded those bubbles a little bit, um, but it's going to be false. You know, we've already got kids back in school. Everybody's home. And I'm just wondering if symptoms of codependency are going to be exasperated, exacerbated by these, um, this, these times where we're going to be more shut in. And you have talked a lot about practical application um, for, tr- for um, giving yourself worth and, and moving away from codependency. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about some practical applications, uh, especially right now. You know, we've been under COVID for what six months, and um, maybe sy- symptoms or issues or or situations weren't bad um, when this first started, and now they've just progressed, um, or maybe not, and maybe you, you know, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, what I really want to ask though is like, what do you what do you have for us? What can you share with us so that our our listeners have something tangible to take with them? Okay. So let, let's, let's try to, you know, take one piece at a time and you may need to remind me <laughs> to come back to, to some of, some of the other things that you mentioned. 
Um, so I, th I think in terms of, you know, what's happened for people regarding, you know, codependency and boundaries and those types of issues with um, the COVID and needing to, you know, shrink the bubble and that kind of thing. I think it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Um, and so people are probably having a variety of different experiences. So I think obviously for some people, they have been, you know, rather stuck at home with, um, you know, a partner or some other family members that they really do not get along with very well or that are really not very good for their mental health. And so that has been very challenging for people um, to not be able to, I think, get some space, physical space, emotional space from people who are, are not very healthy for them. Um, and of course, it also has limited people um, in their ability to get support, you know, from other, you know, healthier people. Um, and so it, it's been harder, certainly not impossible. Um, you know, obviously therapy is online and, you know, 12-step meetings are online. And, you know, there are lots of things that are available. But, but if you're at home um, in a confined space with somebody who is not supportive of you making changes or, you know, going to a meeting or going to therapy, it's hard to get privacy, um, which does really limit people's ability to access some of, some of those resources. Um, so, so it really can be tough. Um, um, and like I said, I think just emotionally, it's, it's tough in general, I think is one thing we need to remember is it's overall, it's just hard to be limited in what you can do and where you can go and who you can see. Um, and just obviously the added, you know, anxiety and stress of the situation is difficult for all of us. Um, on the other side, um, one thing that I have noticed, um, maybe as a positive <laughs> for some people, is that the um, experience of being limited in who they can see and where they can go has given them an opportunity to practice setting some new boundaries. Um, and those sort of Im externally imposed limitations have actually, you know, sort of set some boundaries for them in some, some different ways. So that if normally they would have felt pressure to, oh, you know, go to their in-laws for a birthday party, now it becomes, oh, well, you know, I can't do that because, you know, we're staying in our bubble. Um, so it has actually, you know, given them that almost sort of, you know, acceptable excuse at this point. But I think what then happens is that ends up being a practice moment for them in saying, no, I can't do that. No, that's not going to work for me, which then, right, can extend, you know, and hopefully, you know, once the limitations are all lifted, um, they will still feel more confident, more practice in that ability of pushing back and saying, hey, that's not going to work for me, or I don't care to do that, whatever um, reason, or maybe there's no reason um, that they just say, um, I'm going to set some boundaries um, with people that before maybe I wouldn't have felt like I could set some boundaries. Um, so that's one area that I actually feel like, hey, this has been a positive. Although, like, like I was saying, I mean, I don't think any of it's, you know, um, across the board, just a, a plus or a, or a minus here, um, because certainly, um, you know, boundaries have, have actually gotten, I think, very complicated for a lot of people as we've sort of gotten into this state of um, some limitations, but not as many as we first had. And so people are needing to make more personal decisions about what they feel comfortable, what they feel safe 
to do, um, which also has created, I think, a lot of conflict for people about um, what things to do and what things not to do, who they're going to set a boundary with, um, or what activities and what people, and like sort of where do you draw those lines um, is no longer as black and white as it was at the beginning of the quarantine. Um, so it, it, it is tough, and I hear, you know, from a lot of people that they are struggling with that, and, you know, they struggle with, you know, both is it the right decision for the safety, or, you know, I feel guilty for saying no to this, or yes to something else, and, you know, they're worried about what, you know, the repercussions are going to be. Um, so again, it, it's, it's tough, and as we all keep saying, you know, it's, it's because we're doing things that we haven't done before. These are situations we haven't had to face. And so obviously figuring them out for the first time in a, you know, situation that's constantly um, changing is, is a tough thing to ask of ourselves. That makes a lot of sense. I think um, maybe keeping in mind self-compassion because we are trying to do something that we haven't had to do before. And I think what it stirs up for a lot of people is kind of self-doubt or... Um, kind of struggling to listen to what our gut is telling us, you know, if it's, it feels conflicting because maybe everybody around you is doing it differently than you are, or maybe you, you feel differently, but there's a lot of viewpoints out there. There's a lot of people that feel strongly and sometimes it can be really hard to find your voice whenever the voices are loud and conflicting. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I, because what you said just resonated so strongly with me because you know the, this idea that there are so many different opinions about what we should be doing right now just feels like that is such a strong experience that you know we're getting um, different opinions from you know one newscast or one news source or um, one leader or one expert like you know not to mention you know our family members or our friends or you know other more personal sources right but there's so much information conflicting information coming in that's telling you you know do a or do b or do c and right we're confused um you know so like you were saying it's hard to figure out what is the right thing for me personally or my family specifically and and how do i really listen to and trust um, myself in this situation. And it just, it just seems like, you know, such a great analogy to, I think, what happens, you know, for people who struggle with codependency in general, right? This is, you know, the experience that the people who struggle with codependency are always having, is they're always taking in so many other opinions and having a difficult time trusting and listening to themselves. But I think now that, that this experience just seems more, a more global, um, that, you know, maybe other people who don't necessarily even struggle with codependency may, re may really relate to that um, experience of what it's like to not be able to trust yourself and not know, you know, what your gut instinct is telling you, um, that how, how do you really tune in to that and like filter out some of these other opinions um, because we've got so much of it coming at us, you know, you know, and I think so, so part of that, um, you know, a lot of people have, have already figured out, like, part of what we need to do is we literally need to filter out all of the information that is coming in. Like, we don't need so much information. It's, it's you know, creates that information overload. It's not helpful after a certain point, right, to continue to look at the news or to, you know, scroll through social media. Um, it just, you know, confuses us. It makes us feel anxious. Um, 
when you know a certain amount of information is useful of course um, but what we're also talking about is also you know needing to decide what is right for us um, and obviously you're not going to find the answer specifically what's the right decision for you on social media or in the newspaper um, right this is you know it's something that we have to come to um, for ourselves so we have to I think really you know, create some space, um, some quiet, some downtime so that we can really reflect and think, um, you know, and tune into, you know, what our feelings are, what our thoughts are, what our body sensations are. Um, you know, that's where the answer is. <clears throat> Excuse me. I wonder too, if part of what creates such a contentious society that's attacking each other and, um, kind of, I don't know, it gets intense whenever you hear the the arguments that go back and forth. I wonder if some of that is, you know, people trying to hold on to a sense of what they think and feel and, um, and they're, they're coming against people with conflicting views and trying to convince them instead of like people being able to step back and just hear or listen or understand. It's more, I have to prove myself or attack somebody else, or blame somebody else. It's almost like a, an outward sign of an inner symptom, you know, of just not feeling okay inside. And how do I, how do I navigate with all of the negative energy around of different people's opinions and viewpoints? And there's just a lot of that, I think, especially as we get closer to an election and the political arguments and things that we hear. Yeah, it feels a lot like, you know, everybody wants to be right, as if there is one right answer, one right opinion, one right belief. Um, yeah, and, it, and obviously it has gotten to the point where it just feels very disrespectful that we're trying to, you know, shove our opinions and beliefs, you know, onto other people. Um, and they're trying to do the same, right? And so um, it, it's just a big fight back and forth. And it doesn't feel like anybody's actually listening to, to what somebody else has to say. Um, there isn't that, you know, basic level of respect, care, concern um, for other people, right? And what happened to the idea that, you know, maybe we could agree to disagree, but we could do that um, in a way that's respectful. We don't all have to agree. Um, I mean, obviously we're not going to all agree on, on everything. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's clearly, you know, creating, you know, so much, um, you know, divisiveness and hostility amongst people, um, you know, obviously in, in the larger, you know, community, but also within families, um, as well, that people do not feel like they're understood or that they're supported and cared about. Um, which are, you know, some of the, you know, basic, you know, tenants, I think, of, of a healthy family um, is to feel like that you can, you know, speak up and, you know, share your beliefs and your thoughts and that they will, there will be respect on both sides. Again, not that, that it has to be, you know, we all have to think the same thing, um, but that, you know, you as an individual are entitled to um, have your own, your own ideas, thoughts, feelings, and so forth. So would that be kind of a sign of codependency? If you're, if you're wondering, if you're listening to this and wondering, am I in a codependent relationship? Am I codependent on others? Um, what you just said is, are you respected? Are your own opinions valued? Um, do you, yeah, I guess 
are you respected? Is that a pretty good question to ask yourself? Um, if you're in a relationship and wondering, you know, is this a healthy relationship or am I behaving in a healthy way? Um, I just had this vision of, you know, just asking, like asking yourself when you're done with a conversation with someone, am I still respected? Like, was I treated with respect? Was I treated with value regardless of whether or not we would agree? Yeah. I, I mean, I do think it's an important question when you, when you are evaluating, is this a healthy relationship? Um, it, it's one, you know, pretty fundamental need that, that most people, I think well, all people have is to feel like they are respected um, by other people. Um, it's not our only need, of course, right? When we think about relationships, but I also think maybe the other piece of it is, um, you know, do I even feel safe to share my thoughts and feelings with this other person? Because of course, what, what ends up happening is, um, if you are disrespected um, when you speak up um, about what you think, feel, believe, um, right, you get a negative response from somebody else consistently, then after, you know, a while, you're going to stop doing it, right? You're going to start shutting yourself down because it's not safe um, to express who you are, right? And so I think that's another really good question to ask yourself is like, are you actually you know, sort of being that authentic um, version of yourself. And, and sometimes this goes like, we even have to take maybe a step even further back, which is, do I even know what I think and feel and believe, right? Because often if, if you're really disconnected from yourself in that way, you can't actually share it with somebody else if you don't even know what it is, right? Um, but if you do know um, and you recognize that you're holding back, you're not sharing um, those parts of yourself, I think that's another sign that it's not a healthy relationship, right? Because probably something has happened um, that has given you the message that, hey, that's not an okay thing for you to do. You're not accepted. You're not respected. Um, you're not held in, you know, esteem, um, as much as the other person, right? The other person's thoughts, feelings, opinions are, are you know, they um, believe that they're more important, more valid um, than yours, um, right? So then we've kind of got this, this power differential that ends up um, going on. And, and often that is, you know, something that we talk about in terms of like a codependent relationship um, is sort of being a one-sided relationship. Like we don't have this mutual give and take. We don't have mutual respect. We've got often one person doing a lot of the giving um, and one person doing a lot of the taking. So what can you do in those moments when you recognize that maybe for the first time that maybe you don't feel safe, you don't feel valued? Um, what can, what's a practical step you can take in that moment? Um, yeah, well, one of the things that, that um, Julia had mentioned earlier was self-compassion. And I think that's such a, a good thing for us to use in these situations is it's like starting with ourselves. Um, often we're looking for somebody else to tell us we're okay, um, to give us the validation and um, let us you know, give us the comfort and, you know, sort of tell us that, you know, we're okay as individuals. But really, if we think about trying to do this for ourselves and meeting some of our own needs, I think that almost puts us in a, in a better place um, to be able to ask for some of the things that we need from others. Um, and again, we do need to make some, some distinctions 
right, between who is a safe person to ask and who's not a safe person to ask. Um, but, but going back to the idea of, of self-compassion, I think is a useful one in trying to notice what is it that you need in this moment? You know, recognizing that it, you're having a difficult time and that that's just, that's just something that is an experience that you're having. There's not a judgment about it. It's not as if you're having a hard time because there's something wrong with you, right? Recognizing that this is a, a universal experience. I mean, and, and I mean that in terms of literally like whatever it is that you're struggling with. You know, if, if you're struggling with, you know, feeling like you're not a very good mother or feeling like um, you're, um, oh, you know, I don't know, you, you um, keep getting into, you know, bad relationships, what, whatever it is, instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, like what is wrong with me? Like, why do I keep doing this? Or, um, you know, everybody else is doing it better and you get into a comparison um, kind of judgment, right? But just recognizing that everybody has struggles, right? They may not be the exact struggle that you're having, but often, you know, there are many people who really are having a very similar struggle. And it's not because there's something inadequate or um, problematic about you, right? If we kind of just come at it from a standpoint of, you know what, life is hard. Um, all the things that we're asking of ourselves are, are big asks. And wouldn't it be just a little bit easier if we could, you know, accept that that's an okay thing to have happen? Like, struggle is something that that is normal but that we can we can do things to give ourselves some comfort and to you know lighten that experience a little bit rather than what we usually do which is almost like add to the burden right add to the suffering um by criticizing ourselves for even having a hard time you know acting as if there's something wrong with us for for having a struggle or having a negative feeling or making a mistake um, instead, you know, I like to just think about asking yourself, what is it that I need right now? What would make me feel better? What would, you know, give me some comfort? Those are great questions to be able to ask and to be able to practice like it's a muscle that needs to be developed as far as listening to what then comes up for us. When we pause, I mean, that would almost be like, you know, part one would be, ask the question, what do I need right now? And hold myself in kind regard and self-compassion. But then the the skill side of it almost is, how do I hear what my gut, what my body, what my mind or my heart are telling me that they need so that I can be responsive to that? That takes a little bit of practice, mm -hmm. especially in a kind of busy world that we have a lot of input. We have you know, incoming emails and messages and schedules and people. It's like, how do we find our quiet voice in the midst of that? How do we slow down a little bit so that we can hear it? Yeah, sometimes it's, it's literally hard to find the time to ask the question and, you know, to, to do whatever the action is that um, would meet the need, right? Um, and I, and then I think the other thing is often we just get hung up on the idea that, oh, you know, it's not really that important. 
um, you know, I could do without, or I could do it tomorrow, um, right? It, it, it's always feels like, oh, well, somebody else needs something from me more than, you know, what it is that I need from myself. And so I think that's also where we need to start doing, you know, some of that shifting. Um, and it's not, it's not that we're going to, you know, not pay attention at all to what other people need. It's just that we also need to pay attention to what we need ourselves so that we kind of bring things back into balance because, right, for codependent people, it's like we're so focused on what everybody else needs. And that's where, where we're looking all of the time is let me, you know, figure out what you need and, you know, make sure you get it and keep you happy and, you know, pay attention to your feelings. Um, that so much of that ends up being um, at the expense of what we need ourselves. Um, and, and really, there is a place where we can do some of both. Um, and so it's not a selfish place where we're going to only think about ourselves and only do the things that, you know, are going to benefit ourselves. Um, you know, but we all know that, you know, if we're always just giving, giving, giving and never replenishing, we're, you know, right, we're going to end up empty. Um, right. That's when, you know, I end up feeling like, you know, you end up being sick and exhausted and resentful. And, and that's not, I mean, a place, I mean, that's good and healthy for yourself. It's also not um, a state of being where you can actually be in a healthy relationship with others either, right? So it doesn't really benefit anybody for you to completely deplete yourself by focusing, you know, 100% on other people, right? Let, let's try to, you know, remember that it's totally normal to have needs yourself and that you should be able to meet some of them yourself, right? Some, some needs are relational and we, we need things from other people, but, but there's a lot of things that we can, you know, give to ourselves that will help us be healthier, happier people as well. I'm curious, earlier you mentioned about perfectionism. Um, how do you see that as being maybe part of codependency or something that people even used to cope with um, kind of a sense of need for control? Yeah. I, I see um, a pretty strong overlap. Um, you know, maybe, well, again, I mean, codependency covers a lot of, um, a lot of um, ground, I think. So certainly not all codependents struggle with perfectionism, although I, I think a lot do. Um, and I think that's mostly because, again, there's sort of a very similar route um, that's at, at the, uh, the core of both of them, which is this feeling like there's, there's something wrong with me. Um, I'm not as good as everybody else. And so when you think about perfectionism and this um, striving, you know, to be perfect, um, to be able to do everything right, to know, know all of the answers, to, you know, sort of be beyond, um, you know, criticism, or, you know, or rejection. It's about trying to get some kind of external validation. Um, it's a very similar um, dynamic that that's going on there, right? It's sort of been trying to overcompensate for feeling inadequate inside of yourself um, and looking, you know, to try to um, do particular things and um, have other people tell you that you're good enough. Um, that is really what you're, you know, you're sort of trying to meet that need. Well, well, I, I think that um, perfectionism and codependency are very closely connected and that there's, that there's a very similar route for both of them in, in essentially not feeling good about yourself um, as, as an individual. And so I think of perfectionism is really trying to 
you know, overcompensate for um, like a lack of self-worth by trying to, you know, be sort of so good and so perfect um, and have everybody um, give you this external validation, whether it's, um, you know, from your boss or by um, high achievements in school and, you know, getting um, degrees and titles and, you know, things that sort of show everybody um, that you have value. The problem ends up being um, that, you know, perfectionists end up setting their standards so high that there's no way that they can actually meet them, right? So obviously we can't actually be perfect. Um, so if that's what, what we're striving for, we're always going to fall short, right? Or if our goal is to be good at everything, like you really can't, you know, be good at everything, right? So you're ultimately going to fall short of that and then end up seeing that as, oh, actually, here's proof that I'm really not as good as everybody else. But it, but it was, you know, it was set up like wrong from the beginning that that should be the, the, the test, the standard um, to, for which you should judge yourself. Um, and, and the other thing is that, you know, for perfection, it's sort of like it's never enough. Um, so any um, external validation that you're getting doesn't actually satisfy um, you know, that part of you that doesn't feel good enough. It ends up just being, okay, well, I, you know, I got an A plus or I got that job. And so what's the next bigger thing that I need to accomplish? Um, because that actually didn't make me feel um, worthy and successful and as good as everybody else, right? It's sort of, you know, kind of trying to solve the problem um, with the wrong solution. Um, right when when what we really need to do is figure out you know why are we feeling inadequate and how can we feel um, better about ourselves internally rather than needing somebody else or something else outside of ourselves um, to do that for us. For sure, I think part of it connects to um, if our environment feels chaotic at all, we want to control as much as we can, hyper control, and I think one of the complications of all of it is that perfectionism would be more esteemed as excellence or wow, they, they're so impressive or they can really accomplish a lot or do a lot. They're, they're so high functioning. And I can't remember who said it or in what context, but I remember the comment that was made once that someone was kind of boasting about being a perfectionist that they that this was one of their qualities or whatever. And the, I was either a therapist or I don't know who the person was that said like, how does it feel to have a mental health disorder or like diagnosis with that? Because that's not healthy. Like people don't realize that that's not something to strive for. That's not something that's balanced or realistic or it, it really indicates um, some inner turmoil and some anxiety of like, I can't handle things not being just so, you know, that they have to really be precisely a certain way or I'm not okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it, what you were saying was just reminding me, you know, for a long time, you know, um, saying you were a perfectionist was sort of the right answer to give, you know, when they asked you on the job interview, um, right about, you know, what your weaknesses are. Right. I, I don't know. Maybe people still say that, but, um, you know, it was sort of like, oh, well, this is sort of a, a weakness, but it's a good one, right? It's sort of that, it's sort of socially acceptable to be a perfectionist as if there's, you know, some good stuff in there. 
you know, and if we if we could actually moderate it, you know, there can be some some good things in there, but but in its true form as, as perfectionism, it's exactly like you're saying. It it's not a healthy thing. It's it's way in the extreme um, that that perfectionists cannot tolerate, you know, making mistakes. They can't tolerate things not going the way that they want them to go. Um, they need their life to be very predictable. Um, they need to feel like they're, you know, good at things, um, that they're competent, um, you know, and so it, there's really like a lack of resiliency that's in that so that, you know, like the, the smallest little thing that, that throws off, you know, their schedule, um, their life, um, really throws them from, for a loop. Um, they really have a hard time regaining um, any sense of um, control, really, um, you know, because like you were saying, that's really what they want is to feel like they know what's going to happen, um, how it's going to happen, and they know what to do in that situation. Um, because again, like that, that ends up feeling like, okay, I got this covered, right? I'm, you know, I will be able to handle it. I will know the right thing to say, the right thing to do. I won't be embarrassed. Um, you know, people there's no ambiguity gonna... <laughs> or anything that's going to catch them off guard or be too hard. Or I always ask my therapist, will you please give me the plan or the to do's or the how to's? And because I just give me the rule book. I just want the rule book. I, I need to know exactly what to do in all situations, in all cases, <laughs> and how to respond and how to handle everything. Just give me the rule book. And so what, like, this a previous therapist, he had to move on to a different city. And so we were um, saying our goodbyes and he goes, Oh, by the way, I left you the rule book at the office. Oh. And I was like, yes, I've got the rule book. And he, he was not impressed. He was like, no, that was a test. There is no rule book. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny, but you know, if you, I mean, obviously if you, if you really think about it, of course, it actually feels much better if you, truly can believe that you don't need like the answer key that's kind of what I think it's like you're looking for like give me give me all the answers I want the teacher's edition with the answers but if you actually feel like hey I can figure this out I know how to solve problems I know how to deal with life right whatever it is it's going to happen I'm going to figure it out I'm going to be okay okay. right is really a much better feeling for sure okay Sharon so in discussing codependency and, and moving away from that and taking um, time to ask yourself, what do you need? Having that self, self-compassion, developing resiliency, understanding that nobody has anything under, not, not that you don't have anything under control, but you don't have to have control that, um, you can adapt. Um, what do you recommend or how do you approach when you're the one making those changes in a situation that's maybe not ready for that or, is going to be very unprepared for when you start establishing boundaries um, and how other people are going to react to that. And, you know, I want to have control over that situation. And I'm asking you purely from a selfish standpoint, but, you know, how my concern is, can I be, can I control that? Can I control how other people are going to react? And, you know, clearly we can't. Um, So 
bless me with your wisdom, Sharon. Tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, well, yes. I mean, you answered part of it for yourself, which is, no, you can't control how anybody else is going to react, right? When you start making changes, some people are not going to react very positively, unfortunately. But some people will. You know, this is what I usually tell people is, right, it's, it can be very anxiety provoking to think about starting to set boundaries or starting to make any significant changes for yourself, realizing that that's going to impact the relationships that you have with other people. Um, and I think, and I think boundaries are, are an example that a lot of people can relate to because most of us have had an experience where we have started to set some boundaries and we've gotten a lot of resistance. From, from other people. And I think this can go one of two ways. Well, maybe that's oversimplification, but we'll, we'll go with it anyway, which is, you know, sometimes you can start setting boundaries with people and they will adapt. Over time, they will get used to you setting boundaries and, and sort of, it'll kind of work itself out, right? As you're changing, I think one of the things we have to remember is that usually before we start making changes um, in a behavioral way, we have done some time thinking about that. Sometimes a lot of time we've spent thinking about it, right? So we have been, we have sort of prepared ourselves before we do the actual um, behavior, right? We actually say, say the words and set the boundary. But, but often, you know, the people that, that we're setting a boundary with, they have no idea that we have been thinking about this for months or years or whatever, right? And so for them, it feels like it's completely out of the blue. Like, why are you now saying no to me? Why are you now not available to do that anymore? Um, right? So I almost think of it as like, we need to give them time to catch up, right? And that's sort of that adjustment. Like, over time, you know, if we are consistent, oftentimes they will adjust and they will realize, hey, you're doing things different. Like I need to, you know, have different expectations or I need to ask somebody else or I need to be more accepting of your limitations and, and so forth. Um, and, and I think for some relationships, it can also be very helpful to let people know that this is what you're doing and why, right? So sometimes just sort of letting them in on the, hey, you know, I wanted to let you know that I've been talking to my therapist about um, setting boundaries and how that's going to be really beneficial to me and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and you say, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. You know, I'm not going to be as available um, as I used to be to, you know, babysit your kids um, when you need a last minute babysitter, right? So here, here now they're kind of going to be prepared um, for you are going to now set the boundary and say, no, I can't do that. Um, right. So that, that's sort of helping them along the path. Um, so that, that's sort of one scenario. And then we have the other, which is there are, I, you know, I think honestly, there are some people who, who are going to continue to resist the boundaries that you set. Um, and they will be um, potentially um, quite aggressive about it. And they are going to let you know that they're not happy. Um, and again, some of these people may get on board slowly over time. But I think often there are some people um, in our lives who are just not going to understand the concept of boundaries, why you're doing it. And, and for them, it's going to really feel like it's a punishment. Um, you're doing something to hurt them. It's uncaring. 
it's you know you being difficult you feeling like you're better than them somehow it's some really negative thing that they're experiencing um and again like we we can sometimes you know do some things to try to help them understand but i think if there is somebody who is really set on not understanding right that they you know continue to just argue and be difficult about it and they really are not listening um, that, that's a situation where, unfortunately, um, we are going to need to accept that that's, that's their stance, right, is that they're, they're not happy with it. They're going to push back on the boundaries. Um, we can still set boundaries, um, but we can't force people to like them, and we can't force people to do something either, right? So sometimes we think about boundaries as, as we're asking somebody else to make a change. You know, so it's like, um, you know, if I'm saying um, to somebody, um, I don't want you to smoke in my house, right? I can't actually make somebody do something or not, right? But so let's just, let's just say um, my father's coming to my house and he wants to smoke in the house and I'm saying, please, you know, repeatedly I'm setting the boundary. We don't smoke in our house. That's not something I want you to do here. Um, I can't make him, right, not smoke. Um, it's pretty hard for me to, to do that, right? Um, but I can do other things, right? If that's the boundary that I need to set, maybe it means I'm not going to invite him to my house, right? I mean, you got to think about the things that are within your control that you can actually do to create, you know, that boundary, that limit, that, you know, that um, situation to be something that is tolerable for you, that's respectful, that is working for you, right? So sometimes we have to kind of shift it to thinking about, well, what's actually in my control here? Um, but again, bottom line is I still can't control, you know, how anybody thinks or feels about that situation. Um, and, and of course, I mean, this is a really hard situation when you get to that point with somebody where they are set on um, not agreeing to the boundaries or not understanding why you're doing that, why you're setting the boundary. Um, you often are now in a situation where you have to make some hard decisions um, about that relationship and what it's going to look like and how much you're going to see them and what context and so forth, right? So it really can be um, making some, some hard decisions um, and some, some, some real significant changes um, to the relationship. Um, and of course, right, that does happen, but I would, I would just like you know, people to know that that doesn't always happen. Um, you know, so that's not always the outcome when you set boundaries. There are, you know, there are some people who, like I said, really can um, understand and, and really actually learn to support you in that situation and see that it is good for everybody, right? That's our, that's our hope anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think boundaries are such an important step to practice with um, codependency because we tend to get too tangled up, too conflicted with the people that we're close to that we can't quite figure out what are our thoughts and feelings and needs and what are theirs. And so to be able to take a little bit of a step back and look at what do I need and, and what is okay with me and what's not okay, that's a way to look at boundaries too, to be able to say, I might need to set some boundaries here. This isn't working. This isn't helpful or healthy for me. So, yeah, I, I think it's both, it can feel really empowering to realize that you can do things, but it can also be really scary at the same time 
right? To realize that, you know, you can do things um, to take care of yourself, to protect yourself. I mean, that, se that all seems great, but when you think about like what Sarah's saying is, it's not always well received, unfortunately. That can be a really hard thing. And again, I think this is a, a great opportunity to bring in that self-compassion um, and just like recognize that it, you're really doing a very difficult thing, right? Stepping out of that comfort zone, um, no longer just going along with the way things, the way that things have been, you know, often for, you know, many, many years um, in a particular, you know, relationship with, with somebody, um, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be able to do it, you really need to be kind to yourself. You need to be understanding. Um, you need to be listening to what you need um, and trying to give it to yourself. I think that's, that's, you know, your best, you know, hope of being successful and being able to really follow through um, on setting the boundaries that you need. Yeah, I find some folks really have a hard time being kind to themselves, that that's a, a growing edge sometimes, maybe because they weren't treated well themselves or they feel like that's too soft or... It kind of comes foreign to some people. It's something that can really change how we view ourselves and the relationship we have with ourselves if we can be kind and gentle and compassionate and more understanding. Yeah, I think it's like what you were talking about earlier about that, the idea of, of you know, the muscle, right, and strengthening it. And, you know, I, I always think, well, you know, pretty much everybody that I know is great at being kind to other people, right? And I think this is often, you know, especially true of people who struggle with, with self-compassion is they're often ironically sometimes the most compassionate, you know, people towards others. And so I know that they have, you know, the skills, they know how to be compassionate. And, it, and it's the same thing, just like turn it around and start doing it for yourself. Um, but if you think about it from that standpoint of like, okay, I got to strengthen the muscle. I just got to keep practicing it and, and doing it. Sometimes, even if it feels really uncomfortable, it gets easier. Well, we like to close our episodes with either sharing a gratitude or an affirmation to just kind of keep working those healthy brain muscles in a good direction. So who would like to start? I can go first. Okay. I, Sharon actually just gave it to me. So thank you, Sharon. <laughs> um, well, it's the two-parter, you know, be kind to yourself and have self-compassion. You give it to others, you can give it to yourself. And that is something that really strikes home with me because I can find lots of compassion for people. I can, I can just, my heart breaks over so many things. You know, I felt myself this week, especially, um, you know, just, feeling for all the, for lots of people. I just felt myself feeling for them, like my heart kind of lurching. And yet here I am demanding that I be better, <laughs> um, that not better than them, but giving myself the message that I don't deserve that kind of self-compassion. I did this wrong. I did this wrong. I did this wrong. I didn't complete this. I said this, you know, I'm not worthy of it. All these other people are, are definitely worthy of it, but I'm not. And so, um, I don't know if it's an, I guess it's an affirmation um, to be kind to yourself and to give yourself self-compassion. So thank you, Sharon. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to do a, a sort of a combo thing, just, just like you did there. Um, I think it works nicely, but 
um, you know, I think in terms of like the gratitude piece, I would say like I'm grateful for, I mean, both the two of you um, and the podcast in thinking about what it gives others, specifically like the sense that you're not alone in all of this, that other people are having a hard time too. Um, you know, right, whether it's just like life in general or specifically around, you know, codependency or setting boundaries, whatever it is, like other people are having, you know, these same kinds of struggles. Um, and then I think like if you want to take that same thing, like we could make it like an affirmation out of it too, just to remind ourselves that I'm not alone in the things that I'm struggling with. There are people who understand and there are people who are willing to be supportive. Um, and so I, I think that can be a really helpful thing just to, to keep at the front of your mind is that whatever it is that you're going through, that you are not alone in it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm grateful and thankful, Sharon, that you're with us this week on Off the Beaten Path and just um, kind of showing even in your example of being willing to to be on the show with us today when I could reach out and say, hey, do you want to be a part of this? and and it's kind of like connecting across the miles in the states. And um, I just appreciate your willingness that people do care and that people are out there as um, those who want to bring good and light and hope into the world. And that's a beautiful thing. And we're certainly grateful to have you. Um, another gratitude, I'm just going to add one more kind of as an announcement, too, is that I'm super excited that I started blogging this week. Yeah on my website. And my blog is going to be, I think, kind of unique to many blogs because I'm very intentionally keeping it brief. And out of the um, kind of what came for me with COVID, just so much inundation with material and trainings and emails and my brain gets tired. <laughs> so, so this blog is for the purpose of just spend a moment, just spend a moment. And I'm going to have some journal prompts on there or some action steps or some ways to engage in community if you want to comment and follow along or anything like that. But you can find that on my website at jhrcounseling.com backslash blog. So Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. We look forward to more time with you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Community Roots. Share us with your friends and families to just help more people have mental health awareness and to continue to bring good in this world. Thanks, everybody. Bye.